I want to call your attention now to the book of James, chapter 2. James, chapter 2. And we'll read beginning at verse 14, James 2, 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. May God bless the reading of his word and give us understanding of it today. Last Lord's Day, we did a study in the book of Titus, the letter to Titus by Paul the Apostle, and we noticed again and again in that letter what we called cause and effect. God's grace being the cause and our good works being the effect. And we considered the, the grave and fatal error of confusing those two and switching cause and making it the effect and making the effect the cause. We do not gain favor with God. We do not gain a right standing with God by our works. Rather, the favor of God 
is freely given to us through Christ. In Christ, we have a right standing with God. And in that right standing, he works in us, gives us a new heart, enables us to do good works for him. Out of a renewed heart, a heart that is motivated by love and gratitude and delights to do God's will. Again, just to review some of what we saw last Lord's Day. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved unto good works. Saved so that we might do, in some measure, good works. And so we must overcome our our natural inclination to reverse the order and to think, I'm going to do some good works so that I can gain favor with God. No, favor with God is freely given by him through Christ to all who repent of their sins and believe in Christ. And it is in that right relationship with God that good works then are important and necessary and have a place, not in order to become a Christian, but because God has made us in Christ to be his people. So I want to follow up today with a further perspective concerning faith and works. And we've taken this text in James, obviously, because it's, it addresses that very directly. We read here and elsewhere of this great uh, contrast between faith and works. Not that they are enemies in the right context, but in another context, they are polar opposites. We read of the contrast between faith and works and elsewhere, as in the book of Romans, for example, we read of the contrast between grace and works, the grace of God and our good works or our works of the law. And you notice then that throughout scripture, this, this contrast is developed so that faith and works versus uh, or or and grace versus works we have then on the same side grace and faith in a way it's it's two ways of saying the same thing sometimes it's spoken of as grace sometimes it's spoken of as faith and that is because faith is consistent with grace In fact, faith is a grace. Faith in Christ is a a gift, a grace bestowed by God. And so that's why sometimes works are contrasted with faith and works are contrasted with grace. Because as Romans 4 says, it is of faith that it might be by grace. And any understanding of faith that makes it anything other than a grace, a gift from God, 
by which we lay hold of Christ is a wrong view of faith. But what I want to focus upon here by God's grace now is what James calls dead faith. Dead faith. And then, as time allows, we will also consider what uh, in the book of Hebrews is called dead works. You notice here in James chapter 2, verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And one uh, theologian put it this way, we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone, because good works follow faith and accompany faith. Good works are the effect of faith, not the cause, but the effect. And that's the significance here of the phrase being alone, without any, any works to follow. Faith, if it hath not works, is dead. There is such a thing as dead faith. And verse 20, the same thing. Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead, dead faith. And finally, in verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead. Here's the illustration of, of bodily death. So faith without works is dead also. We must understand, of course, that by inspiration, James is exposing an error here. He's exposing the error of making a profession of faith without evidence of faith. Making a profession of faith without practical obedience to Christ. He uses the illustration here of helping a, a needy, destitute brother or sister. Verses uh, 15 and 16. Here's this, this person who's a brother or sister and they don't have sufficient clothing. Man, on a cold day like this, we can recognize the importance of that. Or they don't have enough food. And instead of giving them a warm coat, you say, well, hope you get warm. Or instead of giving them something to eat, you say, well, uh, I hope you get something to eat. James says, that's the place for works. We need to help that destitute, needy brother or sister. He says, a person can say that he has faith in Christ, but if his life doesn't show practical love and concern and care, then what good is his profession? His faith is dead. He uses again the illustration of Abraham in verse 21 from the book of Genesis. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar and so on? Though Abraham didn't understand what God was requiring of him here, he nevertheless 
obeyed and did the work that God gave him to do. Again, Rahab from the book of Joshua is mentioned as another example in verse 25. Was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? It's a fascinating story in the book of Joshua. But the point is, true faith will obey and do good works even at the risk of personal safety. That's what Rahab shows us. And let me just say in passing, do not be confused by the phrase justified by works in both verse 21 and verse 25, because clearly in the context it's referring to man's assessment man's estimation of his fellow man. We see the works of others. We cannot see the faith of others, but we do see the works of others. And Abraham's works proved to all around him that he was right with God. His works didn't make him to be right with God, but they were evidence that he was right with God. Likewise with Rahab. In God's estimation, Scripture is very clear that we're justified through the righteousness of Christ, His obedience, His perfection, as we believe on Him. And we read some of those verses last Lord's Day that speak of our being saved without works, not by works that we have done, but by His mercy He saved us. And so on. Well, the error that James was addressing here in the first century did not die with the first century. It's an error that is still present with us to this day. Many claim to be a Christian. They claim to have faith in Jesus Christ. And yet their life shows no change from their former sinful ways before they began to profess faith in Christ. And so what James says here is very relevant to the times in which we live especially in this part of the country where there is at least a faint shadow of what we used to call the Bible Belt, with multitudes claiming to have faith in Christ and continuing to live for themselves and their lusts under the dominion of sin. It is such a grief to hear people who claim to be Christians getting angry and taking God's name in vain, just like those who don't claim to be Christians. What kind of faith do they have? It's a dead faith. It's not a real, true, living faith. And for multitudes who profess to be a Christian 
if you simply observe their life, you have to come to the conclusion that if there were no God, their life would not be any different than it is. They claim to believe in God, but they live as if there were no God. What Stephen Charnock called practical atheists. They're not professing atheists. No, they're professing theists and professing to believe the God of the Bible. But if you removed God from them entirely, nothing would be significantly different in their life because they have no interest in God, no interest in reading Holy Scripture or hearing it preached, no no desire to worship Him or live a holy life for His glory. They don't pray. They do not walk with Christ day by day. They have no love for neighbor other than what might be explained by common grace. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, anyone can love those who love them back. But to love your enemies, that's where the line is drawn. No desire to tell others about Christ and share their faith. Their profession is an empty profession. It is words only. It is in lip only and not in life. And James says, that is a dead faith. And, beloved, dead faith is not saving faith. It's it's the faith that demons have. He says in verse 19, the devils, the fallen angels, have that kind of faith. In fact, they even have more faith. They actually tremble. There are no atheists among the among the angels, or and, and the devil himself is no atheist. Fallen angels know that there is a God, but they refuse to bow to Him and serve Him and do His will. And of course, a judgment day is coming upon them and upon all who do not. Submit to God. Well, James describes what many have called easy believism. Our British friends simply call it believism. Here in America, we put the word easy in front of it. A believism. In other words, just say that you believe, make a profession. Repeat these words, and it, it's usually in the context of coming up front at the end of a church service, and here's some words to say, pray this prayer, and you'll be a Christian, you'll be saved, you will have a ticket to heaven, and that's all you need. And so a person goes through the routine, prays the sinner's prayer, repeats the magic words and then has some assurance of salvation, supposedly, because he had a moment of faith. 
He made a decision. But his heart remains unchanged. And life remains unchanged. And there's no fruit or evidence of spiritual life, new life, new birth. There's no what James calls good works to give evidence of the grace of God at work in that person. This is dead faith. And the common method of evangelism today has produced multitudes who have been through that routine and have some assurance of salvation, and according to God's word, are still as lost as they were beforehand. It's a dreadful thing. It's, it's heartbreaking. But it is reality. True faith, or what we might call living faith, in contrast to dead faith, manifests itself gives evidence of itself. How? Through good works. Works that are done in faith and by faith. The life, the behavior, the works of a true believer demonstrate spiritual life. Prove the existence of true faith. Faith itself, I say, is invisible. You can't see faith, can you? It's, it's a concept. It, it's an inward action. And you can't see it. You, you can't touch it, taste it, smell it. But you do see the evidence of it. And the evidence of faith is good works. That's what James is telling us. We have a a common saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. And James is saying in, in so many words, where the fire of faith is burning, there will be the, the smoke, the evidence manifested in good works. <clears throat> if you had passed by my house this morning... Driving down the road, you wouldn't have been able to see uh, the wood-burning stove with the fire burning in it. But you could have seen the smoke coming out the chimney. And you could safely conclude Daniel has built a fire there in the stove this morning. And so it is with Faith and works. Though you cannot see faith, you see the evidence of it. But let me pursue that illustration a bit further. I remember as a boy uh, in one of my aunt's homes, uh, or home of one of my aunts, this artificial fireplace. And it was nothing but a, uh, a thing you plug in and, you know, tin foil that would spin around. You may have seen those in the old days. And it would give uh, the, the appearance and the shadow and the, and the right color like fire in a fireplace. 
But there's no heat. There's nothing real there. It's artificial. It's just the appearance. Nowadays, they use, uh, you know, graphics on a, on a, a big screen. I saw this in a place of business just the other day on one of those warm days, uh, where, where we were using the air conditioning, uh, here in this part of the country. And so instead of using the gas fireplace, which would just make it dreadfully hot, on a big screen, there is the image of flames in a fireplace to create an atmosphere. And that's what James is calling a dead faith, a dead fire, we might say. And you know, from that big screen, there's no smoke, is there? It's just a picture, just a video. So with a profession of faith without works, it's artificial. It's counterfeit. And that's enough to satisfy many people today. That They just want to have an atmosphere of religion with no real substance. Well, only God knows the heart of man. We barely know our own heart, let alone someone else's heart, but... God alone knows how many church buildings and pews are filled today with people with dead faith. May God help us to examine ourselves, examine our own heart and our own life, and make sure that we have a living faith, a faith that works. A faith that gives evidence. Is your faith alive? Well, turn back with me a few pages to the book of Hebrews. And here we want to consider something about dead works. Just as certainly as there can be dead faith, there can also be Dead works. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and so on. He says that foundation has already been laid. We don't have to go back and lay it once again. We can go on and consider some other things here. But notice the phrase here. Repentance from dead works. Whatever dead works are, they are things for which we ought to repent and turn from and renounce and turn away from. Over in chapter 9 and verse 14, we see the phrase used once again. Hebrews 9, 14. 
Well, let's begin the sentence in verse 13. If the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, speaking of Old Testament rituals and Old Testament ceremonies, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. According to this verse, dead works are things from which we need to be purged, cleansed, delivered from by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And so what are these dead works? Well, the definition is is so clear all throughout the word of God. It is works that are done in order to gain favor with God. Dead works are these efforts that we naturally do in order to be right with God, to be acceptable unto Him. Outward works that appear good in the eyes of men, but do not spring from the source of faith in Christ. These are said to be dead works. Works that do not accomplish anything. Again, to go back to my illustration of the the fire and the smoke. If dead faith is a fake fire, then dead works is, would, would amount to trying to make smoke when there is no fire. Setting off a smoke bomb, we might say, instead of having the fire kindled in your heart by God himself. You know, you can take a pile of cold ashes and toss them up in the air. And there will be a little appearance of of, of smoke for a moment or two. And someone who just happens to be passing by and look over, they would say, oh, there must be a fire over there. I, I, I see the smoke rising. And it's nothing but the dust of the cold ashes in the air until they settle back down again. And that, beloved, is like dead works. Trying to give the appearance without having the reality. And I mentioned these two things together, the the dead faith on the one hand and the, the dead works on the other hand. Because some may hear the first point about a dead faith that's just words only and, and doesn't manifest itself in practical ways. And they may draw a wrong conclusion and they say, okay, then then I've got to try really hard to be a Christian. I've got to do a lot of works, a lot of good. 
And once I've done enough, then God will accept me. God will pronounce me a Christian. He'll claim me as his child. I'll be acceptable to him. And so they get very busy in religion. And they're doing this and that. Like Herod, who heard John the Baptist, they do many things. Some observe all kinds of rituals. They jump through every hoop that a priest holds up, all in hopes of being good enough to gain God's approval. And they will defend themselves and say, I don't just profess to have faith. I really do good works. I'm involved. I'm a practicing religionist. Others may say, well, I'm very busy in, in my church and I'm involved in this committee and that program. I bring food to church dinners and I do all kinds of good things. Everyone can see my good works. What's the difference? It comes down to this. It's a question of what is the motive? What is the purpose? What is the intent? If it is to gain favor with God, then those works are just dead works. They're worthless. They're meaningless. God is not impressed. But if, on the other hand, the good that you do is done from true faith, in gratitude for the grace of God, in a heart of gratitude for the grace of God, as an expression of your love for Him who loved you first with His everlasting saving love, then it's good works, living works, we might say, in contrast to dead works. Or we might say it this way. The difference comes down to this. Are you doing what you do for your own benefit? Or are you doing it to serve a loving Heavenly Father? Old writers would would make a distinction between what they called legal obedience and filial obedience. By legal obedience, they meant serving a law for your own benefit. By filial obedience, they meant serving a heavenly father whom you love with all of your heart. And oh, the difference between the two is enormous. We must have that filial family obedience to our heavenly father and delight to please him, delight to do his will, even though our very best efforts fall so short of what they ought to be. But we know that our acceptance with him is not based upon what we do. It's based upon what Christ has done already for us. Oh, what a glorious, blessed, happy position in which to be.
And so, once again, only God knows how many churches are full of people and how many pews are full of people today who have dead works. They're reciting words, empty words, but they're going through the actions, taking sacraments. Some are waving hands and beating drums and uh, you know, some are speaking gibberish and calling it uh, the gift of tongues and so on. I'm telling you, those are nothing but the convulsions of the dead. And just like dead faith, dead works is such a grief and a heartbreak. Those who are taken up with that are described here in in the verse I read earlier where Paul describes the position of the Jews who were outside of Christ. He says, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And just like the Jew of Romans 10, there are many today who naturally think this way, if I'm pleased with myself and if others are pleased with me, then God must be pleased with me. They assume far too much. They do not realize that God has a higher standard than any man has. God's standard is, in fact, perfection. And the only one who ever reached that standard is Jesus Christ. And thank God he reached it in behalf of unworthy sinners like us. And he is our righteousness. He is our perfection. His obedience is credited to the one who trusts in him. And that trust in him is living faith that produces living works. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we see seven letters from Christ to seven churches. And I'm drawing to a close here. Just bear with me. And in all seven of these letters to these seven different churches, Jesus says every time, I know thy works. I know thy works. And in some cases, it's a comforting thing that he knows their works. Because their works are living works wrought from living faith. I know thy works, he says to uh, the church in Pergamos. Where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, and so on. On the other hand, 
Listen to what he says to the church in Sardis. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. There's the dead faith that has produced for them dead works. They have the appearance, the profession. Oh, maybe they're so busy. He says, you have a name that you are alive, but you're really dead. Well, let us examine our own selves today and not be concerned to judge anyone else. Christ knows our works. He knows our faith. What does he say about us? Are we dead or alive? How about you? Are you dead or alive in the sight of God? As we examine ourselves, let's make sure that we're doing what we do with a heart and from a heart that has been renewed by the Spirit of God as we trust in Christ alone for righteousness with God. Let me ask you this question. Do you go about your daily tasks at home and at work and in every sphere and in every relationship with an eye to serve God, to do His will, to please Him. You know, Paul says to servants, as you serve your masters, understand you're serving Christ. And serve Him, serve your earthly master with the the same zeal and dedication that you serve Christ. And we're to take that into every earthly relationship This living faith produces true good works. So in in, in summary of all that we've said here today, let let me wrap it up this way. There are some times when a human body does not move when it should. And we call that paralysis. It should be moving, but it doesn't. That is like dead faith. There should be action. There should be movement and motion. There should be obedience. But instead, there's just paralysis. On the other hand, sometimes a human body moves when it shouldn't. And we call that convulsions. And that's like dead works. Busy, busy, working hard, trying to gain salvation. And it's nothing but 
spiritual convulsions. So we have both extremes. We have the paralysis on the one hand, dead faith, and we have the convulsions on the other hand, dead works. And there's much of both today. May God help us to have a true living faith that is manifested in living, godly works.